0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, as Newt said, I'm one and the leaders here at Saint Augustine's, and I too want to wish you a very happy Easter. Thank you for being here this morning. It's um it's actually really special to be able to share such an important uh, moments in the Christian calendar with you all. I want to start this morning uh, by telling you about the first time I bought tyres for my car. I saved the most exciting stories for you all. Uh, So if you're looking for a man who is a man's man, a handyman, uh, someone who knows lots about cars and is naturally good at DIY, uh, Brendan Beatty's your guy. Not me, though, because I am completely useless at all of those things, which is okay because I'm good at other practical things uh, like how best to arrange chairs for a church event uh, 17th century French philosophy or knowing facts about the uh, Blues losing streak against the Crusaders but I'm certainly not uh, a car person so when Zara and I first got married a uh, car failed its warrant for its tyre tread and so Zara sent me to Tony's tyre service and I asked Zara how much should I pay for a tyre and she said $100 is, is pretty standard so not to pay more, f- more than that Uh, But when I went to pay, they handed me an invoice for $200. And I wasn't having any of it. I'm no fool. And I can be reasonably persuasive if I need to be. So I said I simply wouldn't pay that much. And actually, I wanted to pay half that amount. The tire man, Tony, I presume that's his name, uh, he looked taken back by my request. And he thought for a wee bit, and he said... Um, I'll, I'll speak to my manager and after five minutes he came back and he said look we don't usually do this but you're, you're wearing your Salvation Army uniform you seem nice enough we'll give it to you for $100 I thought I was being a bit dramatic about this all uh, but I left uh, regardless feeling like I had accomplished the task that I had been assigned but when I got home and I showed Sarah the receipt she was shocked she said Matt I meant $100 for each tire. You paid $100 for two tires. And then it all made sense. Tony's reaction, the original invoice, the people in the lobby looking at me strangely as I unwittingly went full Karen on poor Tony, whom I had accidentally hustled. And of course, uh, I felt a wee bit guilty, but if I'm honest... Mostly felt stoked. Uh, Because in a consumerist society, nothing beats a sweet hustle. Uh, As theologian Greg Boyd says, we live in a culture of consumerism that conditions us to habitually look for the best deal. We are more or less trained from birth to live in the question, how can we get the most for the least? And I'm sure this isn't news to you, that we live in a... Uh, a market-saturated consumerist society. More and more, uh, we see our culture attempting to solve life's problems and meet our human needs in the marketplace through simple transactions. As each day goes by uh, in our world, more and more becomes a purchasable commodity. A simple transaction can now buy you an apology, Professional apologies, uh, or a professional apologising is a growing industry. Apologies, as you know, can be hard and they can be time-consuming. Uh, but as the Tianjin Apology Company motto states, we say sorry for you. They will send, a, uh, send men and women with college degrees to dress in sombre-looking suits to apologise on your behalf. Uh, rest assured, they are lawyers and social workers with excellent verbal ability. A simple transaction can now buy you uh, a cuddle. Professional cuddlers have been around for a while, and this industry is clear that it offers only platonic cuddles for your oxytocin hits and nothing more. Cuddlers.com has over 400 professionally trained cuddlers, and for around 100 US dollars, you can be cuddled for an hour. Reportedly, uh, they've struggled with, to, uh, with the pivots to online, the online market during COVID, uh, but have made the best of it by offering virtual cuddles, where someone pretends to cuddle you over the internet. A simple transaction can buy your admission to a prestigious university The 2019 college scandal showed that a simple transaction could secure your place in a top university. Uh, William Singer oversaw a scheme where he would go to great lengths to make sure the children of the super wealthy got admission into elite universities. One family paid $1.2 million for their daughter to get admitted as a soccer recruit into Yale. Only she didn't play soccer. Singer instead just paid the soccer coach $400,000 to lie and get the rest of the money in some countries a simple transaction could mean upgrading your prison cell Uh, prison isn't known to be particularly cozy uh, but due to the privatization of some prisons if you have the cash you might be able to upgrade your prison cell Some offenders can pay $75 to $127 a day and receive a small cell behind a regular door distance of some amplitude from the violent offenders and, in some case, the right to bring an iPad or a computer on which to compose a novel or perhaps a song. A simple transaction can buy you some of the sky in the Auckland CBD. CBD. Airspace above buildings has become hot property and is often bought and sold so others can't build um, buildings that block the view, views of the property that you own, securing its life and its views and its prominence in the city. This is becoming more and more common in big cities, including our very own in Auckland here. All this to say we live in a world in which almost everything is sold as a commodity. Almost any problem we can conceive of can be solved through simple marketplace transactions. And what we've seen in the last few decades is that in Western culture, we've slowly drifted over time from having a market economy to being a market society. Uh, Philosopher Michael Sandel, he says this about market societies. A market society is a way of life in which market values seep into every Aspect of human endeavor. This is the cultural water we swim in. This is the cultural force that subtly but insidiously forms us. And the invisible philosophies and of consumerism impact the way we think about God as well. And so, it's no surprise then that as we uh, as we come to Easter and we ponder the meaning and the significance of the cross, that we often see it as a simple transaction that secures our salvation. The dominant metaphor we have for the cross in the Western Church is of a divine deal of a cosmic transaction, where the message of the cross is essentially condensed down into this. We are sinners in debt to God. Jesus has paid for our sins on the cross, and we can now go to heaven when we die. And if you ask your average Christian what the cross was all about, it wouldn't be unusual for them to respond in this way, to pay for our sins. And to an extent, this is fair. There definitely is a transactional nature to the cross, and Scripture does talk about uh, Jesus essentially paying the price of our sins. And so it's not so much that a transaction for our sins doesn't happen on the cross. It's just that we've made this the totality of what's going on on the cross. And if we do this, then we miss the the riches, uh, the richness and the depth and the beauty and the love and the grace in which we encounter on the death of Jesus on the cross and, of course, the resurrection that we are observing today. Uh, New Testament theologian Daryl Box says, The danger in seeing or preaching the gospel Only as a transaction is that once the deal is done, the believer may have a sense that he or she has checked the box and is done with the gospel having procured the salvation and procured the salvation and avoided hell. In other words, when we see the cross as a mere transaction, we miss out on the transformation and the significance that the cross has for us today. What happens in Easter isn't just a a deal that was struck for us, but it's actually the catalyst for transformation in our lives. The cross is ultimately about transformation, not just a transaction. This is the 1629 Rembrandt painting called The Raising of the Cross. In many ways, it's not too dissimilar from other depictions of the cross, not least because of the Scandinavian Scandinavian depiction of a Swedish-looking Jesus. But if you look closely, you will see something strange. I wonder if you see it. You don't have to be an expert in first-century fashion to realise that a blue beret uh, was not from that time period. And what 's going on here is that Rembrandt has actually painted himself into the story of the cross. Rembrandt wanted to close the distance between himself and what took place on um, at the crucifixion for for Rembrandt, the cross wasn't a distant cosmic transaction that was made on his behalf, but it was something transformative a story that he was caught up in something that was uh, he was deeply intertwined with, so closely that he placed himself at the foot of the cross. You might also see that there's a ray of lights that's coming down on Jesus, and you see that Rembrandt, by being at the foot of the cross, is also catching some of this light as well, that by the sheer proximity uh, of aligning himself with Jesus, is catching the beauty and the grace found in the crucifixion. Famous civil rights uh, activist Martin Luther King Jr. uh, had noted that uh, some of life is an earned reward, a commercial transaction, quid pro quo, so much for so much. But this is not the major element. The major element arrives when we feel some beauty, goodness, love, truth poured on us by the sacrifice of others beyond our merit and deserving. It's at this point that we find the unique meaning of the cross. It's in the the beauty, it's in the goodness, the love, the truth, the sacrifice of the cross that we find its meaning and are transformed. It's a beauty so powerful and so significant that the Apostle Peter was said uh, to have requested to be crucified upside down as to not share in the same holy death as Jesus Uh, But just quickly, uh, in what ways does the cross transform us? Uh, Firstly, the cross transforms our understanding of who God is. Leading up to the Gospels, throughout Scripture, we see uh, a progressive revelation, an unfolding narrative of who God is. And then when we get to the Gospels and and the depiction of the Easter story, it's almost as if the Gospels start playing In slow motion, the account slows down by uh, giving an hour-by-hour account of what's happening right up until Jesus' death, where he uh, takes his last breath and cries out. And we hear in Matthew's Gospel that at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn uh, into from top to bottom. That which separates us and God collapses in an instant, heaven is leaking into earth, and God is now accessible to all who come to this Jesus off the cross. This is a moment in which uh, utterly and comprehensively captures God's character and the revelation of God's self. It's uh, at, in this time that Jesus most clearly reveals who God is. And this is very significant. And Brendan Brendan Manning notes this. He says, by entering human history, God has demolished all previous conceptions of who God is and what humanity is supposed to be. We are suddenly presented with a God who suffers crucifixion. This is not the God of philosophers who speak with cool detachment about the supreme being. A supreme being would never allow spit on his face. Jesus Christ has irreparably changed the world. The gospel breaks our chain of thought, shatters our comfortable piety, and cracks open our capsule truths. Sometimes, uh, even after being in church for years, we can still have this view of God who is distant and angry with us. But at the cross, Jesus subverts and transforms this view and replaces it with a God who's irrevocably uh, with us and for us. The cross transforms our experience of darkness. Because God has suffered and knows death in the person of Jesus, all the dark places in our lives are now met with a solidarity and the presence of Jesus. On the cross we see Jesus be with humanity in a way that is almost unconscionable. And as a result, the spaces we expect the absence of God are often where he is densely and attentively present. Darkness isn't dark to God, and through the cross it no longer needs to be for us as well. For those who who follow the Jesus way, we have a reassurance that alone is impossible, that presence and darkness is part of God's MO. I continue to encounter encounter Jesus in the dark places and spaces I find in life. A while back, uh, I was at the funeral of a fellow youth worker in Christchurch, an intelligent and wonderful uh, woman who took her own life. And uh, as we worshipped at the cathedral during a funeral, we sang, Holy Spirit, welcome. You are welcome here. And I had a profound and overwhelming sense of the presence of Jesus with us in a way that I had never experienced before. And maybe it shouldn't have, but this took me off card. This would seem a, a scenario to be so far from God's love and presence. Uh, but the cross has shown that God, uh, that Christ is truly with us in darkness. Finally, the cross transforms the power of sin and evil. In Colossians two thirteen to fifteen, we read, "God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing." Triumphing over them by the cross. Here uh, you'll see in this first part of the verse um, that we get a sense of this transaction of Jesus dealing with our sins. But that's not all. We we also get here that uh, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of, of them, triumphing over them on the cross. Jesus uh, lets the powers. Do their worst to him. He takes on the full brunt of sin. He drinks in the dregs of judgment. He allows death to hold him in its clutches. Then, in the midst of a powerless death, emerges a divine saving power to forgive, redeem, and renew. The power of sin and evil is a real power in this world. It destroys our relationships and leads us to disrupt the shalom of God. But on the cross we see the power of God become powerless to make a spectacle over the power of evil. There's an ancient uh, martial art, um, well it's not actually that ancient, but it's a martial art called Aikido. uh, And Aikido means the way of peace or the way of the harmonious spirit. Uh, it was actually developed in the 1920s and 30s. And Aikido is a martial arts technique that trains people to engage in non-resistant combat, turning the force of the aggressors back on themselves in order to neutralise their opponent and hopefully enlighten them regarding the evil of their heart that fueled their transgression in the first place. And to, to use an analogy, what we see on the cross is essentially... Uh, a divine akido. The powers of sin and evil exhaust themselves and are made a spectacle of against the power of love shown on the cross. And they're exposed for what they are, which is fundamentally opposed to who God is and the love that he expresses. And so as we face uh, sin and evil in our lives, we face them knowing that the power of Christ revealed in the cross is always stronger that Christ has exhausted their powers, and therefore transformation is possible. And so if you, uh, if you feel hopeless and as though you're in a cycle of despair, uh, open yourself to the reality that Christ is making all things new and that hope is real, that his power is stronger. And if you feel like you can't change, know that God has given us the resources to be transformed. And if you feel uh, afraid to act in this world, if you're feeling uh, timid and like uh, life is a tightrope, that you're too afraid to make a move on, uh, be reassured that God has overcome this world and that you don't need to be crippled by fear. Today, we find ourselves here on Resurrection Sunday. And the resurrection is the beginning of this transformation unlocked by the cross, The resurrection isn't just the resuscitation of one man, but it's actually the beginning of a whole new world unlocked by the cross. This is the new transformative life found in the crucified Christ. That hope uh, isn't far off, but it actually begins right now. And so my prayer is for you that you, you may go knowing that, that God is with you and for you because he has revealed himself clearly on the cross. May you go to, today knowing that the presence of Christ that transforms the darkness and is powerfully uh, present in unexpected places is with you. May you go today knowing that change is possible, that new life is available because God has defeated the powers of sin and evil by exhausting them On himself. May you go having your imagination captured by the grandness and the mystery of the cross. Let's pray together.